Good morning. Welcome to another episode of CCT Live, Cape Cod Times Live Facebook news broadcast. I'm news editor Patrick Cassidy, and I'm here today with reporter Marianne Bragg. Marianne covers the towns of Truro, Wellfleet, East Ham, Cape Cod National Seashore, which is in all three of those towns, right? And yeah. Wales, uh, offshore wind for us and uh, probably pretty much anything else that comes along. Um, we'll talk about a few of those beats, including the first mother and calf North Atlantic right whale uh, spotted in Cape Cod Bay for the season, um, the latest on a proposed offshore wind project south of Martha's Vineyard, and a proposal in the town of Wellfleet to buy some tidal flats land uh, that uh, in historically has been a little bit controversial, and it sounds like it was a little bit controversial at a meeting that you were at last night, Marianne. Um, we'll also talk about a plan to open two Cape Wildlife refugee, Refugees refuges uh, to hunting and take a look ahead at the one-year anniversary of the death of uh, Yarmouth Police Sergeant Sean Gannon. That's uh, tomorrow. Uh, you can take a look back at our past episodes and follow along on all our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Marianne, this meeting last night, um, Wellfleet residents were there to talk about uh, a couple hundred acres of tidal flats uh, in Wellfleet and a an I don't know if it's an offer for sale or a proposal to, that the town buy this this land. You can't build on it, um, right. but it does have some value, and and it's not a not a cheap price at least to start. Um, but there was some discussion last night, and even some some concern about who owned the land, uh, which had been talked about in the past. Tell right. us about that meeting. So. Uh well, let's see. This meeting was at the public public library in Wellfleet, and this is uh, it's about 200 acres of tidal flats and actually like a one mile long beach that the town's considering um, purchasing. And uh, it's privately owned right now by a trust, primarily I think made up of about six, four to six shellfisher people who do shellfishing. So. Um, this cut the opportunity to buy the property came up kind of quickly. So the selectmen are scrambling to collect data and maybe start negotiations. But I think it's that rush to bring it to town meeting uh, later this month that it seems to have everybody somewhat up in arms. So last night, this was a tiny room at the library and there were like maybe a hundred people really packed in. And um, it was a, just a forum really kind of people. It's, called the Wellfleet Community Forum. They hold lots of forums, but people are able to just ask questions and in kind of a light environment, not too heavy. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, the um, kind of the meeting just started off with one person who claims to possibly at least own some of the flats or at least have uh, governance over it as part of a property association up on the top of the bluff. But he right away said, you know, do you guys even... You know, do the people, the trust even have a proper title um, to the property? And he immediately challenged um, the, you know, the select board members that were there to that they would, that this association wouldn't just, you know, sit by and let this happen. Mm. So that really started off kind of the meeting. Kind it, of set the yeah. tone a little bit there. And, and that's <laughs> yeah. interesting. We were talking about before coming on the air that this goes back uh, and, you know, I don't have the details in my brain, but it goes back quite a number of years. And there was a property owner a, a number of years ago. Uh, this this has been a place where there were shellfishing going on out there for many, many years. Yeah, decades. And, and this property owner uh, many years ago said, 
uh, I, I think there was some question about who had rights to the land then. There was a court battle. I think it went to land court. Um, and it was yep. being decided in the shellfisher people's favor. Um, but their attorney at the time also realized that the the actual property owners, the people who owned the property, was a trust that had since dissolved. He reached out, contacted that trust, and these this group of shellfishermen, or it had dwindled at that point a little bit to a smaller group of shellfisher people, who then actually bought the property, and that's where their uh, title to it would come from. Right. Um, and it was interesting, their their name is an acronym for how you like <laughs> them apples, which was obviously a dig at that original property owner. Um, and now you have another property owner in the area raising concerns about it. Uh, but how much, what, what is the price that we're talking about here for the land? And it's it's kind of changed. There's been some some talk about the price and how, how the town might actually acquire it, right? Right. It's really all up in the air. Town meeting is later this month, so the selectmen have to figure all this out. But it's the price started started at around three million, mm -hmm. and that's what the uh, this trust came up with. And then since then, I believe they've lowered the price to they've lowered their price uh, by six hundred thousand. And then a mysterious donor has also. Um, offered $1 million to the town to help with the price. So it, now it's down to, I believe, $1.8 million. Mm -hmm. um, some information came out about the donor last night at the meeting. Uh, the town administrator said that he actually knows the donor personally and feels like the person is definitely serious and would come up with the money. Um, and they're considering a lot of different things. It's really just considering. They haven't even negotiated with this group of owners, but um, like a eminent donor eminent domain, mm -hmm. a land gift. Um, I can't remember what else, but it's, I can't really emphasize enough. It seems like it's all up in the air. Very preliminary They're kind stuff. of coalescing at the same time. Preliminary, but under a tight schedule. <laughs> yeah. And, and Wellfleet's gone through this before where they were looking at a land purchase and then, you know, that you, because you're a government and you have to do things oh, in right. a certain way, it goes to town meeting and you have to wait for certain things to happen. And in that previous case, the land was kind of bought out from under them. I think that one is being worked out as well. Right. Um, uh, but they are cognizant of of you know not of being a little more constrained in terms of how they do things than say somebody who's privately coming in and thinking about buying a, a piece of property uh as i guess could happen in this case and again the value title flats it has value obviously for for people who are shell fishing out there but that mile of beach also has quite Seriously, a bit of value yeah, and if the town were to own that mm -hmm. and provide access to people for mm -hmm. that i think that the um taxpayers would have some benefit there Again, weighing that benefit versus the cost is always the issue. Um, moving uh, on here a bit, the uh, uh, state uh, has uh, delayed some decisions on the Vineyard Wind uh, Cable Project. Actually, this isn't the, the offshore right. wind project, which is planned for south of uh, Martha's Vineyard, but actually on the cable that would connect it to the, uh, to the electric grid. You've been following offshore wind for us, Marion. What, what's going on uh, with this particular project and, and with this uh, Delay slight, I think the company's ho hoping is terms right. of these cable projects uh, permits. I mean, one of the probably the key things to remember about the Vineyard Wind project is that they're hoping to put a shovel in the ground somewhere by the end of this year. So they have a path for permitting that um, is pretty tightly scheduled. So to make that um, construction start by the end of the year. So uh, in Boston. Uh, state organization, the Energy Facilities Siting Board, 
they've been considering since last fall this uh, cable laying that Vineyard Wind is planning where from the wind farm south of Martha's Vineyard they would lay the cable uh, and land it in Barnstable, snake it under the streets for about five miles to a new substation uh, in Hyannis, and then it would connect to the regional, <clears throat> excuse me, the regional electricity grid. But basically, they thought they were going to have the decision by March 1st, so this past March 1st, mm -hmm. and then uh, moved into April. Now they've said it's May 9th. So that's a, about a two-month delay, um, but the state has said that that delay is legitimate. They've, um, it's a very complicated project, and um, that's what's been required to do their review. So the company says they're not quite, they're not worried, I they're, think is what yeah. they said. And, so. and uh, again, it is a complicated project. The state's been through this uh, type of uh, permitting before. I, I remember the Cape oh. Wind project had right. a cable laying project and it was very contentious. Obviously that project was planned for the middle of Nantucket Sound, had a lot more opposition to it. Um, and the opposition was certainly looking for any foothold and the, the cable was a, was a big one for them. In this case, they had originally talked about coming into Yarmouth. There was some opposition there. They sound like they basically have struck a deal with the town of Barnstable. Yeah. The town of Barnstable is getting some money. Um, little less contention over this. So presumably, you know, the Energy Facilities Siting Board process is is going smoothing. That that board, by the way, is responsible for basically making sure that the state has energy, that it's in, you know, as environmentally friendly mm -hmm. as it can be, and that it's as cost effective as, so they're balancing a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those things are not necessarily aligned and, and kind of striking that balance is always a little difficult. Um, and, and so Vineyard Wind on that front uh, is, again, little delay, but could be a little smoother certainly than the than the Cape Wind project, which never happened. Um, they also have been dealing with uh, uh, fishermen out of Rhode Island in particular, and it sounds like they're they're. Uh, you had a story earlier this week about how they've come to some some agreement on on doing things in a certain way, and and uh, that that right. may be smoothing out a little bit too. Although there's still some concerns there. Right. It's also kind of another. You think of the the path that they have to be on to get their permits in order. And also just negotiate with stakeholders. The fish, the fishermen, commercial fishermen in Rhode Island were particularly concerned about um, the impacts in their areas of fishing south of the island. So they've um, offered a mediation, no, uh, a mitigation, mitigation, mitigation yeah. sorry, yeah. mitigation yeah. package, uh, and also now have adopted some monitoring um, methods that the um, University of Massachusetts in Dartmouth their marine science um, department has recommended. And th those methods they're saying could be kind of a model for these larger offshore wind projects going oh, yeah. forward. So this would be something that um, this would not be the pilot, but this they've come up with these methods. They, the, the university did a number of workshops and, and did some things to come up with these methods of monitoring for, for these effects. The, the fishermen were also and they kind of begrudgingly accepted that mitigation package because they were, they were saying they were concerned about the alignment of, of, of the turbines and that didn't sit well with them considering how they passed through that area. Um, again, several million dollars later they said okay we'll we'll take it but we're still not happy um uh so we'll we'll see if anything else comes up there but it seems like the project's moving forward 
on various fronts. And, and again, I guess anything smoother than Cape Wind was, but uh, it's still a very complicated issue. Um, another complicated issue uh, has to do with the Monomoy National Wildlife Refuge in Chatham. Um, and over the past uh, couple of years, there's been some contention between the town of Chatham, the state on one side, and the federal government, which it's a national wildlife refuge there, on the other side about uh, the use of a certain area. And the federal government had essentially laid out a plan, I think, in 2014. And uh, by laying out that plan for that area, had, had essentially said, we, we own that area as the federal government. This town and the state said, wait a second, historically, we've had control over that area. So there's been this back and forth. Uh, kind of as a backstory for a story that came up within the last week, which was both at Monomoy and at the Mashpee National Wildlife Refuge, uh, a little, I think, lesser-known refuge uh, there on the Upper Cape, um, there's been a plan put forward for hunting of um, uh, in in Monomoy. I think coyotes are, are part of the plan, um, and waterfowl in particular. Some folks have seen some irony in the, the fact that the uh, feds are, are talking about uh, opening up uh, that part of Monomoy to hunting waterfowl because one of their arguments in saying they needed control uh, over that area was because they needed to be careful about the effects of, of the use of that area on migratory birds, waterfowl being among those. Um, and so they kind of uh, have put forward this plan. I, I think there's, uh, you know, it seems like they're going forward with this. And this goes back uh, about 20 years to a, to a law that was passed that basically said, if you're a refuge, you have to figure out if, you know, hunting can happen in your refuge. And it was kind of a push uh, towards opening uh, these national refuges to hunting and to other activities um, that could go on there. Um, it's taken some time, but it sounds like they're moving forward on that front. The coyote part is interesting. Monomoy uh, uh, refuge managers say, and I think you've seen this in the seashore too, mm -hmm. that with some of these endangered birds, piping plovers, etc., they they actually go out and hunt the coyotes themselves because the coyotes can have an effect on those species, and they don't want that that to be a problem. Um, uh, but coyote hunting has become a big deal at the state level recently. Uh, there's a uh, local hunting uh, shop that has been doing a uh, coyote hunting uh, basically contest over the last couple of years. That's garnered a lot of opposition, a mm -hmm. lot of people who are not uh, happy with the idea of a contest. Um, but in this case, it was interesting. Some of the kind of uh, people that uh, reported Doug Frazier talked to kind of shrugged their shoulders in Chatham. Uh, it, it, one of the select uh, men said essentially, well, we've been historically, you know, allowing uh, waterfowl hunting in that area for years. So for us, it, it wouldn't be anything really new um, uh, to, to have that happen. The refuge manager for Eastern Massachusetts National Wildlife Refuge Complex and, and another refuge official essentially said, uh, we don't think many people are going to go out there to hunt because Monomoy, as we know, is a very uh, difficult place to access. It's not even an easy place to, to kind of <laughs> yeah. land your boat, um, but there's no overnight uh, camping. You can't hunt at night. Uh, so all these kind yeah. of factors. Um, uh, but it is it is uh, open, and even uh, Mass Audubon has said, well, national refuges, even though people look at the word and they think refuge uh, for these animals is what it's saying, across the country, they are open to hunting in, in mm -hmm. many instances. So didn't garner as much uh, uh, opposition, uh, per se, at least immediately. That may change. Um, but the kind of irony that, that Chatham says, well, we're arguing with you over who owns that land, 
we've allowed waterfowl hunting in, in that particular area of the, of the refuge for uh, years. And we don't even think it's part of the refuge. We think it's, it's controlled by us. And the government saying, well, we want to open hunting there is, is kind of interesting to see. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. One of the big uh, stories, certainly uh, for whale researchers locally, I think they were all very excited about this, uh, maybe to a fault in terms of, of uh, what, what we were hearing in terms of conflicting information. But uh, the, the first uh, mother calf North Atlantic right whale were spotted in Cape Cod Bay. They come back here, these whales, um, you have covered this species uh, extensively, you probably know a lot of them by first name or number, because uh, there aren't that many of them left. Uh, yeah. Why is it important that we we've spotted a, or or somebody has spotted a, a calf in Cape Cod Bay? Why is that a big deal? Well, my gosh, um, let's see. Since uh, 2010, scientists have um, learned realized that the population is um, really declining in a way that they hadn't really thought. This is the North Atlantic right whale. Uh, they're estimated now at about 411 uh, in total. Part of the problem, actually much of the problem with their decline is human-caused deaths, ship strikes, and entanglement in fishing rope. So um, uh, part of the way that they could um, boost the population is to have more and more calves. Mm -hmm. uh, and so... Um, last year, there were no documented right whale calves born in the calving grounds that are off of uh, Georgia and Florida. So this year, this calving season, seven were documented, and um, through their migratory path, they the mother and the calves usually then come up along the East Coast and get to Nantucket waters. They get to Cape Cod Bay, and that's where they do their feeding and socializing they also actually end up going all the way to Canada. But um, in terms of studying the animals, there's uh, really decades of research in Cape Cod Bay that's been going on. And so uh, given how precious I think I would say um, the calves, seeing the calves is or are, um, is really they were all waiting to see the first ones show up. And they're really hoping uh, maybe they see all seven, but also see more than seven, possibly some of the, a calf or two that was born but hadn't been documented uh, off of Florida. And it's so. interesting because, again, I think they, they see getting up here, obviously those whales have run a gauntlet of sorts, you know, up the East Coast, mm -hmm. you know, again, avoiding ships, avoiding entanglements along the way. So it's not the end of their journey. They go back and forth every year and, and certainly all those obstacles are there and, and dangers are there for them. But just getting to see them in Cape Cod Bay for these researchers. I, I saw a tweet from one researcher who was at, I, I think, a hockey game, and she was she was <laughs> talking about the whales that you could see right off Provincetown within, from shore, and that's the other interesting thing. These whales come so close to shore, they're only 411 estimated right now, mm -hmm. but you can see them from Cape Cod uh, beaches, which mm -hmm. is amazing, or, or out in the bay if you're out on a boat. Um, uh, so for a lot of people, there's a very personal feeling uh, with these whales. Um, and as you said, they going up to Canada, uh, that you can start to look at those numbers, 411, that's not a lot of animals for any species. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they're highly endangered. Um, uh, but it also, when you look at the lack of documented births in the, in the season before, and then there was a uh, mortality event is what they yeah. call it. 
and and there were 17 i think killed between mm -hmm. our waters mm -hmm. and canadian waters right. so 17 dead 411 total only seven documented births or zero births in the year before mm -hmm. the numbers don't look great in terms of yeah. i'm not a population expert but uh like, but yeah they were hoping to get maybe 16 i think calves this year yeah. so they're getting yeah. there, but so quite. so kind of like the replacement <laughs> yeah. level, if you will, of the whales that they know have died. But uh, uh, certainly, uh, again, they maybe they missed a couple, but they're watching these whales pretty close down in Florida. As you said, people are keeping a, a close eye on them. Um, I also heard that there was um, a mother and calf pair seen last week uh, south of Nantucket, and mm -hmm. I don't have the information yet on that yep. in terms of whether it was the same pair or different, but. Yeah, and again, they, they see these uh, largely from planes. They're doing these aerial mm -hmm. surveys. Right. So they can usually look at the markings on them and tell which whale they are. Yeah. You've done a, a, you did a big project recently uh, where you were looking, you could basically do a family tree for these whales, yeah. and, and they use a it's lot of different good. methods. Yeah, it's, it, exactly. You'd, like all the generations had just predominantly, like all of the generations had scars from ship strikes, propellers, you know, um, deaths, entanglement, it's, it's yeah. really not Well, good. and it, being able to personalize them, if you will, so easily because there are so few in numbers, yes, you can call them by name, but when there are fewer and fewer to call by name, that's what uh, people get really upset about. And you can you can sense a little bit of, of that attachment to these whales. There was a video that was shot by a, uh, uh, somebody off of mm -hmm. a Provincetown, uh, over the, I'm not sure when this was, over the weekend, Sunday? Yeah, it was Sunday. And it was an incredible video of this one right whale swimming along and then rolling in this very clear water. Mm -hmm. It was, you don't usually get that clear water around yeah. Cape Cod. And, and uh, it was from a drone. Uh, and, you know, the, it was somebody who obviously has a, a great deal of, you know, uh, concern about these animals from, from his posts and what he talked about. But it did raise uh, a, an interesting question of the fact that, you're not supposed to be uh, taking uh, video or photographs of these whales from a certain distance and you have to be very careful on that front, right? Right, not just from the boat. I mean, traditionally, we've, you think of boats having to stay 500 yards away from the right whales, but now suddenly it's, um, you know, boats to the side, but also staying 500 yards above them as well. No. Yeah, because so. now everybody's, not everybody, <laughs> but a lot of people have these personal drones and, you know, you can fly them in certain areas. Uh, you don't need a helicopter or a plane anymore to get above these animals. Um, uh, it was uh, 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 Patrick interesting. Clark. Yeah. I mean, he was two miles away yeah. standing in downtown Provincetown. And the drone was all the way out to Race Point. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I was looking at I was looking at some of the ranges of these drones that can go up to four, even the the again personal drones you can buy presumably yeah. the more professional ones can yeah. go even further. But four miles out you can be with the drone, um, which again you can understand mm -hmm. he's doing this. He's you know maybe playing by all the rules, mm -hmm. and he doesn't. He he said he didn't even know exactly what he had he uh, right away. But when he looked at the video closer, he realized it was a right whale. And again, he's somebody who uh, has uh, supported marine conservation efforts. Mm -hmm. So he he said, "Listen, I understand the reasoning behind it, uh, but he didn't know what he had until he got home." Is mm -hmm. is what he was saying. Um, and I think they're giving him the benefit of the doubt mm -hmm. from the sounds of it. Um, but I think if you were actively uh, flying a drone five, 500 yards or less above these animals and doing it purposefully, 
you might hear from the federal government about that. So it's something for everybody to be aware yeah. of. Um, so we'll continue. You'll continue to follow the the uh, North Atlantic right whales. Um, coming up tomorrow, uh, we're going to have a number of stories about uh, a year since the death of Yarmouth Police Sergeant Sean Gannon. He was uh, shot and killed in Marson's Mills while while serving a, an arrest warrant. Um, and this was something that really, you know, touched uh, the community of Yarmouth, obviously, the community of Barnstable, where it happened, Cape Cod, the state the nation. Um, and it's, it's something that, uh, we've been following, uh, uh, since that day. Um, and we'll have kind of a look back, a look forward, a look at what's been happening within the community, which is really, again, rallied around the family, rallied around the, uh, police department there in Yarmouth. Um, and so you can look, uh, for that in tomorrow's paper and at capecuttimes.com. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you very much, Marianne. Always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, tell your friends, share the link, feel free to reach out to Marianne or any of the other reporters here with any story tips you have. All our emails are at capecuttimes.com. Uh, we're where news starts on Cape Cod until next time. Good morning and good luck. Thanks.